Late Night Council is a production of Council Communications. This is Late Night Council. This is bigger. This is very big. There's definitely something here. Apparently, it's a big deal. It's all over the news. It's a real thing. A radio signal from another world. John Council. That's my grandpa. Well, your story is very compelling. Your chance to make history. That's pretty cool, I guess. Give it to me straight. John, you're in charge. Have you had a good weekend? Well, it's not over yet. That's the good news. And, and hopefully, you know, by the end of this program... You'll be able to go to work tomorrow or maybe go into the first week of your holidays thinking, I'm much better prepared now. Welcome to Late Night Council. It's uh, Ask the Pastor, and it's open line, open topic. As long as you know before you call in, I, I, there's a good chance I'm going to try and hijack the conversation, okay? There's a good chance I'm going to kind of bring it around to what the biblical perspective is, what the faith perspective is. You veterans know that, you know, this is kind of the opening, but we're getting new listeners all the time. And sometimes the show has to be defined for them, you know, because those new listeners are important to us, aren't they? Sure they are. Here's the phone number. If you're in the Capital Region, oh, Capital Region, that would be, oh, that would be Arnprior, that would be Gatineau, that would be Ottawa, Gloucester, Canada, Stittsville, Embrun, Buckingham, Chelsea, 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390. Open line, open topic. You, don't have, you do not have to wait for me to tell you what I think about what's going on in the world. And I only talk about the important stuff, okay? You know, all the froth and the fake news. We let mainstream media handle that. And, you know, you're bored silly with that anyway. Otherwise, you wouldn't be tuning in to listen to me, right? 343-700-4390. If you know what you want to talk about and you want to get at it right away, 343-700-4390. If you're listening in from one of those faraway exotic places, because, you know, we do have a 1-800 number. Oh, yeah. So if you're listening from uh, Chimney Corner, Nova Scotia, if you're listening from Humansville, Missouri, uh, Monk's Misery, Maryland, or uh, Mononkachunk, New Jersey. Yeah, Mononkachunk is a real place. Look it up. Mononkachunk, New Jersey. 1-844-562-4766. one 562 That's your number. That's one 562 You can email me if it's airworthy and it's under six lines. It just might get on the air. JC at LateNightCouncil.com. That's JC at LateNightCouncil.com. JC does not stand for Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Connors, Johnny Carson, or Julius Caesar. Stands for John Council. That's me, okay? JC at LateNightCouncil.com. Keep it under six lines. You can tweet at me at JW Council. Go to Twitter.com slash JW Council. There I am. Woohoo! Right there. And you can see the, let me see, how many how many tweets have I put out? I put out, it says I've put out over 12,000 tweets. So if you're really, 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 really bored one night, or maybe you've got one of those government jobs here in Ottawa where, you know, they don't kind of, they don't breathe down your neck. They're not watching what you're doing in front of the computer screen all the time. 
you could read some of the stuff I've been tweeting out there for the last, oh, 75 years. I think I first got on Twitter in 1944. Yeah. And uh, JW Council, if you want to get on Twitter and, and, and fire me off something, go for it. Uh, so you got four main ways to uh, get on the air and share your feelings. Uh, hijack the show, take it in another direction. But if you don't do that, oh, I've always got stuff to talk about, don't I? Always, 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 always have stuff to talk about. Now, as you know, before I start talking about this topic now, okay, I'm reminding you, I only do the Ask the Pastor format now, okay? I, I, I don't really care what party you vote for. I'm going to give you my I still have political opinions, but if you've been listening to the Sunday night only version of Late Night Council, you know I don't bring a lot of politics onto this program. But with the story this week with uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, taking your money and giving $10.5 million of it to Omar Khadr, uh, that's been the biggest story in Canada this week. And and believe it or not, I think I got a biblical perspective on it. If you don't like the biblical perspective, well, then you call in and you let me have it, okay? If you really like it, you know, you can tell your friends about the podcast. They can download it and hear it for themselves. And uh, I'm sure all of you that are listening in Canada, you know about the story. Uh, Omar Khadr. Oh, it was in, oh, how long ago was it now? About 12, 13 years ago. Actually, 15 years ago. It was in 2012. No, it wasn't 2012. i got to get my dates right. It's been a while. I think 12 or 13 years ago, he uh, uh, threw a grenade, killed a, uh American medic, who incidentally, just two days before he was killed, risked his life to save uh, the lives of two Af- Afghani uh, uh, children. And uh, he was caught. And because he was uh, 15 years old when he did it, there was great debate as to, you know, how guilty can a 15-year-old be because he's a child soldier. And I went on record, and I talked a lot about this when I was doing, you know, the more political commentary, that I think he was a 15-year-old. I think the guy couldn't help but, you know, become what he became living in the environment that he was. And uh, he should be treated like a child soldier. Now, that doesn't mean he's not guilty. He is not guilty. But I, I advocated for him getting out of prison and not being treated like a you know a typical adult soldier. And I took a lot of heat for that, especially when it was on CFRA. Because CFRA, as you know, and they, they never wanted to admit it. But, you know, it kind of back when I was on, it leaned more to the right wing. And that's where their, you know, their, their, most of their audience was. So they were really upset with me. And I just couldn't, I could not uh, uh, hold a kid who's 15 years old. I could not hold him as responsible as an adult, okay? And so the guy does time, get him out of prison, give him another chance, that's fine, okay? And I, again, I took a lot of heat for that. But this $10.5 million on top of it, oh, this is crazy. This is, uh, I don't think that can be justified because he was doing quite well even living here in Canada. The guy has never renounced what he did, never admitted that it was wrong. And um, Trudeau is promoting the idea that Catter's rights were somehow violated and that he deserves compensation. Now, remember, 15 years old, murdered a father of two young children who are now in their teens. Oh, he's only 15. I get that. Okay. Hmm. Trudeau's pushing the belief that a 15-year-old can decide. Now, think about this, okay? And I've done a lot of commentary on this over the years because this has been in the news in Canada for a long time. 
But think about this, and I'm going to come to the biblical perspective. I'm not just getting political here because I've got a bone to pick with anybody. I've got some stuff for, I want you to consider here, and I want you to think about calling in and giving your, give me uh, this, your side on it, especially if you don't like what I'm talking about or, or if, you, if, you're, if you're picking up on something that I'm not picking up on. Think about it now. Trudeau pushes the belief that a 15-year-old can decide something as serious as his gender or her gender. He's really pushing that, you know? And, oh, you shouldn't interfere with that. Something as life-changing, something as life-altering, something as important as gender, which affects everything that we do. Oh, yeah, 15-year-old, no problem, you know? With them deciding, and boy, you shouldn't criticize it either. And if they're, and we've even got laws here in, in Ontario that if the parents try to dissuade somebody as young as six, seven, eight years old, they can have, if they're foster parents or adoptive parents, they can have the kids taken away from them. So I don't understand how you can assume that a 15-year-old, you know, and, and younger is wise enough to choose their gender, but if they kill somebody, they're not responsible? How does that work? Please explain that to me. If anybody can explain that to me, please. I want you to call in tonight, okay? And you've no doubt been uh, looking at the news this week. The average pension package for a Canadian Armed Forces retiree, $360,000. That's the average. The average retirement package for a retired service person, $360,000. If you kill one, and I know I'm stretching it, and it's a little bit of a hyperbole, but you can't take away from the fact that this guy killed one of our allies, and he walks away with a bigger jackpot than somebody in, I'm told, British Columbia won last night on 649. Jackpot was, I think, $9 million last night. Omar Cotter is counting his bucks, and he said, oh, who needs lottery tickets? Now, I told you I'd give you a biblical perspective. Well, here it comes. And if you think this is lame or you don't think I'm being, you know, true to the mandate of the, of the new late-night council, give me a hard time for it. Okay, 343-700-4390. If you're in the capital region, that's 343-700-4390. And 1-844-562-4766 for all across North America. 1-844-562-4766. Ephesians 5.11. It says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Hear that? Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, help me here. In my opinion, and if you think I'm wrong, please, I want to hear from you. Giving $10.5 million to a murderer, a confessor. Well, he, it was a forced confession. It was under torture. There's no evidence of torture anyway, anywhere. Sleep deprivation is not torture. He was sleep deprived. That's not torture in any in the Geneva Convention or in any definition. Of course, you know the way they're changing words now. I mean, nefarious elements, you know, believe what they want to believe. Okay. So ten and a half billion dollars to a murderer, and the Bible says have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. How is how is giving ten and a half million bucks to a confessed murderer? How is that how is that not evil? I'm supposed to expose. I'm I'm supposed to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, and I'm supposed to expose them. If I'm a follower of Christ, if I if I really believe the Bible, here's another biblical perspective. Okay, Hosea four and six. 
says that my people, and it's a principle here, and I'm not quoting out of context, okay? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, okay? And I think it's talking about Joe Average public there, the voting public, the voting public of Canada with what our leaders do. We're destroyed by it because, you know, we don't investigate. We believe everything mainstream media tells us about these candidates when they're elected. And we go by image instead of doing our homework and becoming involved with, you know, important decisions like who's going to who's going to make the laws in our land. Quoting from uh, the Canadian press article on this. Actually, this is the headline that said that uh, Stephen Harper, our former prime minister, absolutely blasted this decision. He was freaking out over this. And here's the statement that the Trudeau government put out there. On behalf of the government of Canada, we wish to apologize to Mr. Catter for any role Canadian officials may have played in relation to his ordeal abroad and any resulting harm. Really? Apologizing to Mr. Catter. Now, have they offered any kind of apology to the medic's wife, the widow, and his kids? The guy that this guy killed? We hope that this expression, the $10.5 million they're talking about, we hope that this expression, that's quite an expression, boy, and the negotiated settlement reached with the government will assist him, will assist him all the night, will assist him in his efforts to begin a new and hopeful chapter in his life with his fellow Canadians. Yeah, I wonder how much, te- I wonder what $10.5 million would do to assist you in your future, uh, you know, uh, operating in Canada. See, $10.5 million. That's about 35 Lamborghinis right there, boy. Heck, you could buy Lamborghinis for the whole family. Your money. Please don't, please don't buy, buy this garbage Well, the government has rewarded. That's not their money, folks. That's your money. But you're Canadian. You don't care. Biblical perspective. You're going to get destroyed for your lack of knowledge. You don't hold these people to, a, to account? Let me give you another one. Oh, there's a lot of biblical perspective on this. And again, if you don't like it, call in and yell at me. If you like it, call in, whatever. It's open line. This is Isaiah 3. This is Isaiah 3. Tell me this doesn't describe where we're at in Canada right now. Isaiah 3, starting to read of verse 4. I will make mere youths their officials. Children will rule over them. People will oppress each other, man against man, neighbor against neighbor. The young will rise up against the old, and nobody against the honored. Hear that? A nobody will rise up against the honored. Man, it's almost, it's almost, this was written 2,600 years ago. A man will seize one of his brothers in his father's house and say, you have a cloak, you be our leader, take charge of this heap of ruins. Does that not describe Canada? I mean, is that not perfect? Read it for yourself. Look it up. Isaiah 3, verses 4 to 6. Oh, there's more. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom, and they do not hide it. Woe to them. Wow. So there's your biblical perspective on how we're being led. Hey, I'm putting my spin on it. I'm admitting that, okay? It's my opinion. I quoted you some scripture. And I'm putting a bit of a spin on it. I'm interpreting it. It's for you to decide, well, I got counsel. I think you're full of crap. Or I might be onto something here. I, well, I, I'm sorry, but it's not every day that a guy who kills a hero, somebody that had just saved the lives of two Afghanistani children, 
It's not every day that a guy kills a hero and then he gets rewarded for it. $10.5 million. Well, he's not getting rewarded for that. He's getting rewarded because, he, you know, he's under, you know, unjust suffering. Look at the guy's paid his penalty, okay? Did he not deserve it? Even if he was 15 years old, I don't think he... Look, at if this guy was an adult, I'd want him executed, okay? The fact that he's 15, 8, 10 years in prison, yeah, okay. That, you know, I can see that. That, you know, the, the, the punishment probably, you know, is appropriate to the crime because he was only 15 years old and, yeah, he needs to get a new chance. But do you need $10.5 million to give you a new chance and a new life? Whoa. Wow. And I take you back to, you know, the theme of so many of our Sunday night shows. Romans 1, 18 to 32. Here I am mentioning it again, which you know, describes the culture we're in. Although I think those scriptures I quoted in Isaiah, man, that almost perfectly describes Canada and who's leading right now. I'm going to let this topic die. I'm not going to talk about it anymore tonight unless you want to. But I wanted to get that out there because at the top of the program, it's the hottest story in Canada right now. And, and I, don't, I, know, I don't know anybody to put a biblical spin on it. Anybody. And if you listen to the podcast again, you can talk about it. Or if you don't like what I said, hey, that's what talk radio, that's what the phone lines are for. You call in. Tell me what you think. But in the meantime, in the meantime, I've got uh, very, very important people that you got to hear from, okay? i got very, very important people that uh, uh, keep me on the air that I want you to hear from. And then, then, after the commercial break, we have our first tune dedication tonight. And we'd like to, you know, as crazy as it sounds, yep, we have a tune dedication. We're going to dedicate the tune to Omar Catter and his family tonight, okay? So the tune that comes on after the important commercial break... Remember, it's dedicated to Omar Khadr and his family. 343-700-4390 is the capital region number. That's 343-700-4390. 1-844-562-4766 is the long-distance line. That's 1-844-562-4766. We're on to at least 11 tonight. Hopefully, you can stay the whole time with us. Stay with us. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspect distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600.
I don't know. I, I think that's pretty appropriate to dedicate that tune to the Catter family, don't you? Welcome back. 343-743-90 is the Capital Region number. That's 343-700-4390. 1-844-562-4766 is the long-distance line. That's 1-844-562-4766. JC at LateNightCouncil.com is the email address. JC at LateNightCouncil.com. And you can tweet at me at JWCouncil. Don't forget, when you tweet at me, I put your Twitter handle out there. I get you more followers before you know it. Boy, you'll be right behind Katy Perry and Justin Bieber and all those other important people that uh, tell people they got a hangnail in the morning and 20 million people tweet back, oh, my, that must be terrible. I've had one of those. Anyway, I told you I want to talk about uh, Omar Cotter again, I, unless you want to talk about it. I mean, I'm going to talk about whatever you want to talk about. I will react, and I want to hear your opinion on it, on this and whatever else is on your mind. But be reminded, we're in the Ask the Pastor format here, and I'm going to steer that conversation because, boy, the most important thing in the world, the most important thing in the world is what happens after you die. Not a lot of people talk about that, usually because it starts fights and people get dogmatic and stuff like that. And you know, we try to steer away from that. But, you know, I think we have some good talks about it. Most of you know that I became the pastor of a brand-new church that, uh, well, I guess it started in April. It's only been going for three months now. And being a guy who's a pastor, who's been a pastor for 30, let me see, 36 years nonstop, you know, you get used to doing things a certain way. And I've been in big churches, medium churches, small churches, and I, I got a lot of, you know, done a lot of stuff as far as the pastoring world is concerned. But when you start a church from scratch... You know, 
you get a totally different perspective on on what what Christianity is, what the Bible's all about. Why should people even be connected to a church? So I'm going to throw out a general question because I got a lot of thoughts and there's a lot of stuff that's in, that's in the news that has prompted me to, to to go down this path tonight. Okay, of throwing out the general question here, and if you've got an answer right away, you can call in and give me your thoughts on it. But what's a what's a biblical church, an authentic church? I use the term biblical because to me, the Bible's got more authority than any collection of books in the world. Okay. B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. I am sold on the product, okay? So when I say biblical church, I mean a real church, an authentic church. What's a biblical, real, authentic church? What's it supposed to look like in the 20th, 21st century North America? Because I'm convinced there's a lot of groups that call themselves churches. I don't know whether they're churches or not. They're religious bodies, they do, a, you know, some of them do a lot of nice things, but when I look at the Bible, what a church is supposed to be and what the priorities of a church ought to be, man, it's, and it's, and it's, it's, it's hit me full in the face since I've started, like, and I, yeah, I didn't start it. It was, I agreed with the people that gathered together. Yeah, we got a church going here and I've agreed to be their like pastor, servant, leader, whatever. I don't know. Okay. In fact, if I'm not explaining that uh, uh, as clear enough, call in and, and ask me some specific questions. I don't mind talking about it at all. But what's a biblical church supposed to look like? Because when I look in the book of Acts and the priorities that Jesus had with his disciples and what he said about church and what the disciples said about church and what the New Testament says about church, because there's there's very, not very much in the Old Testament because there wasn't the church in the Old Testament. That was the people of God. That was Israel. God you know, was, was communicating to the world through a nation. But Jesus said he was going to build his church. And, and I'll tell you, because of the rethinking of priorities and because of the way I've been, you know, been preaching in that, man, I'm getting an education. I am really learning. I'm learning about church, and I'm evaluating like I've never evaluated in my life. In fact, it's one of the main reasons I only do Sunday night broadcasts anymore. Because what I'm getting out of this new church I'm working with, this, this brand new Pure as the driven, it's not perfect, but man, I, I am enjoying it so much. It's it's my whole life. It is consuming me in a good way. I'm getting more of a charge out of working uh, with you know the people of Lower Town and the people that have gathered around to birth this thing. I mean, these people are amazing. Now. This is not a prolonged commercial. You know me. If you followed me on CFRA, and even some of you are listening in now when I used to be on uh, uh, CKTB in in, in St. Catharines and and, and, uh, um, CKWW in Windsor, okay? And even some Manitoba stations as well, okay? You know that I've I've never flogged my church. This is not an infomercial for my church. But ChristChurchOttawa.com is up. Our website is up. And a a really exciting development happened this week. We got my last three sermons on ChristChurchOttawa.com are available. And you can listen to them. You can download them. And you can hear, and, and my preaching style, those of you, if you're listening and you've heard me preach before, I'm not preaching like I used to. It's really changed me, and it, and I'm I'm very intrigued at you know the priorities that are being developed, and how this thing is blossoming and how this thing is growing. There's three messages up there because we weren't 
recording the messages in the first few uh, Sundays we were meeting because, to tell you the truth, we had no clue what we were doing. I've never started a church before. I don't know how to start a church. But get all these people that are coming together, they're excited to minister, and they got a heart for the poor, and they got a heart for kids. And, you know, our, one of our themes of, of Christ Church Ottawa is we go after the people that nobody else wants. I think that's probably what Jesus would do. You know, if you think I'm wrong, call it and argue with me, okay? People that are marginalized in society, the poor, the addicted, the mentally ill, okay? We're serious about going after that bunch. So the first, and I, the three messages that are up there at, at uh, uh, ChristChurchOttawa.com, there's three messages. One of them is called God's Little Flock, where I'm talking to God's Little Flock and encouraging them, okay? The next one is What is Prosperity? And the What is Prosperity message kind of leaked into uh, the Late Night Council show the last about two weeks ago. I brought a few of the thoughts onto the show there. And then last week, last week, uh, uh, you know, I spoke on our citizenship. If you're if you're a part of the kingdom of God, if you're a part of the uh, the Bible describes it as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, we got a different citizenship than just being Canadians. In fact, we are hyphenated Canadians. If you're listening in Canada, if you're listening from the states, okay, and you're a follower of Christ, you're a hyphenated American. You can hear an American Christian, Canadian Christian, an Arab Christian, a German Christian, whatever. Okay, so those are the three messages up there, and I'd love for you to take a lesson of them. And uh, we had a unique circumstance in church today because we're in a rented facility. We're in the uh, if you're if you're listening from the capital region, we're in Lower Town, and uh, we're at at Jules Moran Park. Jules Moran Park. If anybody knows where the International House of Prayer is here in Ottawa, well, we're right across the park from them, and there's a field house there. It's brand new. It's only been in existence for about three years. It's like God created that field house just for us, and uh, we've had that place. Uh, you know, we started there, and we we've got the place rented for a good six months. Okay, and we had one Sunday, one Sunday where it was pre-booked. We couldn't get the facility, and it was today. Well, what do you do when you got a thriving congregation that's growing every week and people are happy and they're excited to be there? You know, you don't want to kill the momentum. So we decided about a month ago, hey, you know what we need to do? I mean, we love this neighborhood. and You know, we're making connections in the neighborhood like crazy. Why don't we throw a barbecue, a free barbecue, where we give away hot dogs, we give away chips, we give away pop and drinks and everything, and we're not going to preach, we're not going to have, a, like, music or anything. We're just going to give away. We're going to have a picnic and have fun with people. So we did that today. We were flying kites. We were throwing the ball around. And all week leading up to this Sunday, there was there, the forecast was for rain all day Sunday, all day Sunday. So, you know, we're praying, oh, God, give us good weather. Give us good weather. And if you were in Ottawa today, you know what the weather was like. I mean, from the time we got on the property, I mean, we set up. The, the weather was gorgeous, beautiful, sunny day, about 23, 24, you know, centigrade for you Americans. That's about 74 degrees. Perfect weather. And and just had a blast, just loving the neighborhood. Had a really really good time loving the neighborhood. Now, I, I got to I got to tell you, give you a little bit of insight. One of my uh, uh, um, buddies, I'll call him George. I don't want him to look bad, but George, you know, hadn't been out for a while, and he showed up thinking that we were going to have a church service. Hadn't heard the announcements. No, it's picnic day. He says, oh, so you're going to do some evangelism? You're going to evangelize? You're going to preach? You're going to play? I said, no, George, we're not going to do that. 
You know, we're just going to love people. We haven't earned the right to be heard yet. In fact, most Canadians, they got a pretty bad attitude towards churchy types. Most Canadians have had a bad experience about churchy, uh, churchy types because Christians have done a lot of bad and dumb things. And before you could even tell people about the love of God, before you could even tell them that you're a church, you got to prove to them first that you're, you're not just doing it to get people to come to your church. you got to prove to them that you really care because people don't care what you know. They want to know you care. Now, if, the, if you really do care, because you can't fake that, by the way, you can't fake that you care for people. So any of you that are connected to churches there, you churchy types there, don't pretend you care for people because they can tell right away. People are not stupid. They can, they can spot a phony a mile away. So if you expect to be heard and if you expect to have your message taken seriously, you're going to have to spend some time proving to people that you really do care because that can't be faked. So we jumped on the opportunity of this and many other things that, you know, that are up our sleeve that we want to do. We want to prove to the to our neighborhood in Lower Town that we really love these people. And we had a blast with them today. Had such a good time, okay? And somebody, one, I, I, one, of, our, one of the conversations, somebody says, so we're not having church? And then one of my more astute members in the church, you know, rebuked the person for even asking, said, what do you mean we're not having church? This is church. And I thought to myself, yeah, it is. If you go by the biblical definition of church, they had everything in common together. They ate together. They had, when they came together, they were having church. That's the church is. His presence doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Church is when people come together. They have Christ in common. And I've heard a lot of people share, you know, pretty strong opinions on this topic. That's why I want to, and I may be coming back to this question throughout the night tonight, because I don't know if I want to leave this topic, because there's a lot of news stories that kind of highlight what I'm talking about here that we're going to get to. What's an authentic church supposed to look like? What does it sound like? What's it supposed to, uh, or you can go the other way. What is not church? I mean, it's funny, when the Bible says that he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, I think you can pretty strong, with a strong biblical backing, say, well, church is not a building. Yeah, you're right. You got good biblical support for that. What does a genuine biblical church look like in the 21st century? What does it sound like? Well, you got a hold of traditions. I'm not so sure about that. Because I look at the Bible, and, and uh you know, I think there's a difference between heritage and, and, and tradition. I think heritage is not a bad thing. Tradition can be a bad thing, though. I heard it said once that heritage is the living faith of the dead. Tradition is the dead faith of the living. Does that make sense with you? Does that resonate with you? Boy, that resonates with me. I think that's pretty good. I think I need to repeat it. Heritage. Heritage is the living faith of the dead. Tradition. That's the dead faith of the living. You want a biblical perspective? Here it comes. This is Jesus talking. And he's chewing out the Pharisees because, boy, they were all about tradition, weren't they? And look what he says here. You guys nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. In other words, their tradition was more important than the word of God. So I'm going to put forth an opinion that if your tradition disagrees with what's in the Bible, I think there's a problem with your tradition. Just my opinion, you know, give me yours. Now look what Colossians 2.8 says. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, 
which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So with those two scriptures there, the Bible's kind of laying out cold, you know, the the dead faith of the living, which it tradition, and also the worship of fads. I find in the church there's always a fad, you know? What's the latest thing? What are we going to do to get, what are we going to do to put bums in the pews, you know? And sometimes, too often, I think, what churches do and, and what they call ministry is nothing more than, you know, uh, uh, shell games and trickery to get people to come to their, you know, whatever the latest is, you know? What do you think? You got a thought on that? Now, I told you there's a bunch of stories that revolve around this, okay? Um, I was a great fan Oh, back in the 70s and 80s, there used to be a guy called, uh, a guy who wrote a book called The Kingdom of the Cults. His name was Walter Martin. This guy was like a Bible encyclopedia. And he wrote the definitive Christian work on cults and why cults are erroneous and why, why they are, why they are uh, you know, the, the Catholic Church used to use the term heresy. And how they take truth and twist it and cause people to believe stuff that's not in the Bible. And they fool people with their sincerity and with their, you know, uh, wonderful sounding arguments. And they lead people down uh, uh, the path of error. And he founded an organization called the Christian Research Institute. Okay. And, he, and I, I never heard Walter Martin speak live, but I know a number of people that did. They said, this guy was just amazing. He was called the Bible Answer Man. Okay. And he could answer, and you think, I mean, I've been doing Ask the Pastor for like 34, 35 years. And you know on Ask the Pastor, I mean, it's it's been called Ask the Pastor. So people could call in and they ask, you know, what do you think of this? What does the Bible say that? So I know what it is to answer. Well, Walter Martin, I am a complete puny amateur compared to this guy. This guy would take on PhDs and some of the highest profile atheists, you know, alive, you know? And, you know, people from other faiths and other religions. And he always did it with great humility, too. Wonderful Christ-likeness. I mean, a really wonderful man. Well, people don't live forever. And uh, uh, Walter Martin passed on about about 10 years ago. And taking his place, maybe even more years than that, I think maybe 15 or 20 years ago, taking his place was a guy that was kind of an apprentice underneath him that you may have heard of this guy. His name is Hank Hanegraaff. Hank Hanegraaff is still the president of uh, the Christian Research Institute. Okay, well, about and I haven't said much about it because I don't I don't bring a lot of, you know, church news into a uh, 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 late night counselor. Ask the pastor, because that's not where people are uh, living. You know, you know, I mean, I the news stories I bring affect people of faith. Sometimes it's really dangerous stuff that we need to wake up about. Sometimes it's celebratory, wonderful stuff like, you know, the news about the New York Mets having faith day and Carter Conlon, the pastor of Times Square church, being able to church uh, preach and have a full worship service after one of their baseball games. I think that's kind of cool. Okay. But that's not necessarily what goes on in a church world. Okay. About two months ago, Hank Hanegraaff shocked the, 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 the church establishment in North America because this guy's got, like, uh, millions of listeners that listen to his uh, syndicated radio show. And yeah, he's the Bible answer man, okay? He sent shockwaves throughout particularly the evangelical world of North, North America when he left his evangelical church to join the Greek Orthodox faith. And people just flipped 
They couldn't believe it. How can this guy who knows the Bible so well, and he's been an evangelical all his life, and he apprenticed under Walter Martin, you know, how in the world can you embrace the Greek Orthodox faith? Well, in my opinion, people, if you're going to ask that question, you probably got a pretty shallow understanding of what real biblical Christianity is all about. And I go back to the question tonight, and 343-743-90, if you want to get in on this, What's a church supposed to, what's an authentic, biblical, genuine church? I'm not talking about a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect church, okay? At least until we get to heaven, okay? But what's a genuine, authentic, biblical church supposed to look like in the 21st century? So Hank Hanegraaff, he joined the Greek Orthodox faith. He felt that they were being, can you get, get, get this? Oh, you evangelicals are going to love this. He thinks they're more biblical. Well, the media won't let this guy alone because, I mean, and you Canadians, it's difficult for you to understand this. I mean, we've got CHRI here in, in Ottawa, which is a, you know, a faith-based Christian family radio show, okay? Um, and that's a rarity in Canada because the CRTC laws, oh my goodness, they make it almost impossible for independent operators to be up and running, okay? Well, the States is not like that. I mean, every town of, oh, I'd say 75,000 or more has a Christian radio station. I mean, there, there are cities that have a dozen of them. There's so many of them, okay? Anybody can, can operate a Christian radio station and do quite well, okay? There's not a lot of restrictions. You can actually make money running a Christian radio station in the States. It's almost impossible here. I don't know how CHRI does it. I mean, man, it's got to have a, an amazing committed listenership to be able to even survive, okay? In the States, it's different. So this Hank Hanegraaff guy, when he announced he was embracing uh, the Greek Orthodox faith, there, are, there have been dozens and dozens, it might be in the hundreds now, of Christian radio stations across the United States that have dropped his program, Okay. And because the the church Christian media, they've been really hounding this guy and they wanted to know why. Because, I mean, the guy's very smart. You can't deny his, you know, his, his biblical knowledge. And he had an answer for them this week. This is off of ChristianPost.com. Hanegraaff told NPR, I don't know what NPR is, the NPR, uh, National Public Radio, yeah, Hank Hanegraaff told National Public Radio's Charlotte, North Carolina affiliate WFAE in an interview broadcast last Wednesday that people jumped to the wrong conclusions following his decision to join the St. Nectarios Greek Orthodox Church in South Charlotte back in April, with some even suggesting that he had walked away from the Christian faith. How can you say somebody's walked away from the Christian faith just because he goes to a different church than yours? Anyway, I digress. And 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 article continues. The Christian Research Institute president said that it is not the case at all. And he took the opportunity to speak about the type of now listen to this, I've never heard this term before, and this is why I brought it up. It's kind of unique, okay? He took the opportunity to speak about the type of pastorpreneur church leadership that he says made him uncomfortable. Pastorpreneur. See, that's why I'm kind of bringing it around now. Remember that kind of question I threw out there? What's a what's a, an authentically biblical church supposed to look like in the 21st century in North America? So what's a pastorpreneur? And he explains it. He says, where the pastor is like an entrepreneur, branding, formulaically getting people into seats. That became troubling to me. And I decided I was going to explore, he said. Good on you, Hank. 
Good on you. Sounds like, and this is just my opinion, sounds like he's left the evangelical church for the Greek Orthodox Church for all the right reasons. I like this guy even more now. Pastor is like an entrepreneur branding, formulaically getting people into seats. That became troubling to me. Wow. The Bible answer man insisted that for the most part, his theological beliefs have not changed. So I stand shoulder to shoulder with evangelicals, with Roman Catholics, with orthodoxy around the essentials of the Christian faith, meaning the main and plain things, he said. I mean, isn't, isn't that so much, though, of what churches become, formulaically getting people in seats? Hey, whatever works, you know? I think it is. That guy that I talked to at our barbecue today. So you're going to evangelize? You're going to preach? You know, you're going to witness to people? I mean, that's a, and he's a good guy. He's a wonderful guy. But that's what he's been brought up with, formulas, you know? I mean, even the term witnessing, oh, my goodness, you evangelicals, you have butchered that word. It's in, it's in uh, uh, Acts uh, 1.8. And all the Pentecostals love it. That's their favorite verse. You know, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So the evangelical church has taken that word witness, and it, it, they've totally gone away from the biblical meaning. Witnessing in the evangelical ghetto, I'll call it, that means you you rehearse a canned presentation of the of uh, you know uh, uh, the gospel and you argue people you win arguments and you memorize scriptures and you talk people into saying the sinner's prayer. That's what their that's what their concept of, of witness is. Totally unbiblical. Acts one eight. The Greek word for witness is martis. That's where we get martyr from. In other words, you're going to receive power to be my martyrs. <laughs> How do you like that? In fact, you're going to need my power because you're not going to be able to stand up under the persecution. When you go around claiming that I'm God, all men will hate you. Jesus said that. Jesus said that to his followers. Have you ever heard Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes, Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, the richest, the richest media pastors in North America, have you ever heard them preach on Jesus' words, all men will hate you because of me? They killed the prophets before me. They're going to be coming after you as well. In fact, you're going to need my power to stand up with what you're going to. That's going to be coming your way. What's a witness? We even know what a witness is in the English language. A witness doesn't have a canned presentation. A witness, when he's called upon, gets up on the stand in a court of law and says what he knows. Nothing more, nothing less. In fact, if the presentation is rehearsed, the jury is going to sit back and say, hey, something phony here. I don't like this. That's not an authentic witness. In fact, a witness can get up and stumble and stutter and be nervous, and, and it doesn't matter to the jury. If the witness is, is telling the truth and doing their best, well, they're considered a good, authentic witness. It's too bad that people, you know, that are in, in North American churches couldn't live like that. Hey, it's okay to screw up. It's okay to, you know, to get things wrong. I mean, Jesus died, and I'm not condoning sin in any way. Last week on, uh, on, on Late Night Council, we talked about hating evil. And that's a recurring theme. Don't tell me you love God if you don't hate evil, because the, the, the Bible says that the fear of, the fear of, to hate evil is the beginning of wisdom. 
Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of God is described in the book of Proverbs as hating evil. If you hate evil, that's the fear of God. We're not afraid of God, but we have awesome respect for him. And then critics say all the time, well, yeah, you Christians say that you, know, you, you, you hate, uh, uh, you hate uh, uh, the sin, but you, uh, but you love the sinner. You know what? Yeah, we do say that. We need to be better at actually doing that because that's not easy. But if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you better learn how to do that. Jesus was the best at it. He was a friend of sinners, the Bible says. Okay? And yet he would rather, he would rather shed his own blood and die a torturous, horrible death than compromise with sin. They always like to parade that story of, you know, the woman caught in the act of adultery. And God says, whoever has no sin, cast the first stone. And they conveniently forget the last thing that she, he said to the woman. Everybody that likes to talk about, you know, hyper grace and how, you know, they have no concept of hatred for evil. They all forget what she said, to, what he, the last words he said to the woman. Where are your accusers? They're gone, master. And then he says to her, well, I'm not going to condemn you either. Now, don't sin anymore. Why did he say that? Because he knew his sin, her sin would kill her. God hates sin because he doesn't, know what it, he doesn't like what it does to people. So what's an authentic church supposed to look like? Hmm. I would think an authentic church has earned the right to be heard. Usually churches, you know, they're always protesting and taking a stand on things. And nobody listens to them because people don't care what they know. They want to know they care. But when you've got a church that proves itself as, as a caring church, that puts itself out for the community, is they're supporting people. And it's known more for their acts of love and mercy than for, you know, the stands they take on social issues. Chances are you've got a church that's probably impacting people and probably being very authentic and very biblical. What do you think? You think I'm crazy? Got any thoughts on that? You want to agree? You want to disagree? 343-700-4390. That's three four three seven hundred forty three ninety. That is the capital region number. I got a. T- we have got a larger listening audience that we have had tonight in, in about two or three months. I know there's a lot of you listening tonight. I want to hear from you. Three four three seven hundred forty three ninety. Yeah, if you want to keep me, if you want to keep me yakking all night for two hours, I could do that too. But I'm, I, my personal preference is, you know, for people to call in and engage, and, and uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something here. Okay. Three four three seven hundred forty three. Now I still got a ton of important stuff to talk about. Really important stuff. Okay, stuff that someday is going to get me. And if you've been following me on uh, on uh, Twitter today, you know some of the stuff I've been putting out there, and I want to get to it. But again, it's uh, your call's going to take priority, and uh, uh, you can you can contribute to the show through through uh, Twitter. You can contribute through uh, email. JC at late night council dot com. JW Council is the Twitter handle, but calls will always take precedence, okay? So if I got emails and, and tweets and a phone call, the phone call is always going to take precedence. 343 in the Capital Region, all across North America, wherever you're listening from, one eight four four. that's one eight four four five six two four seven six six. one eight four four five six two four seven six six. Now, um, uh, another message from, uh, you know, a very important sponsor, and then... Then I got a kind of a, oh, it, it kind of defies description, but it's right along the vein of what we're talking about. You're going to hear an artist, he's going to ask the question, what's wrong with this body? What's, what's wrong with this church? You know, what's going on here? And, 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 and hopefully, uh, hopefully we're going to have a, 
um, a little bit of insight from uh, uh, dear brother Larry Norman. Remember Larry Norman? We play him a lot on this program. So a message from the sponsor. We're going to listen from Larry. Uh, hear something from Larry Norman, and then we're right back. Okay? Give me a call. 343-700-4390 in the Capital Region. one 562 4766 That's long distance. Right back after uh, a little bit of fun, a little bit of music, and a little bit of insight. Stay with us. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspect distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Hey, it's nice to have so many nice people here tonight. It's really nice to, you know, like when you're nice to people and they're nice to you back, it's, it's nice. And the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? I don't think we believe that. I don't think there's many people here who would say, yeah, that sounds like me. But the heart is desperately wicked. Yeah, that's me. And deceitful above all things who can... Yeah, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Now, I, I think we get the idea that we're, we're really nice people. And it doesn't matter if God sees our hearts the way they really are. We know differently. We're, we're, we're good people. Yeah, we do. We do bad things, but, well, it's kind of hard to explain. Because we are good we just do bad things. <laughs> what's wrong with this community? What's wrong with this world? What's, what's wrong with us who are brothers and sisters and believe in one God and His Spirit in Christ? What's wrong with this body? And this body is ill. It's full of disease and it's dying. You know this body needs healing And it needs to be filled We ought to stand on our feet And start trying If a man should divorce
You know, p- people usually say, like, uh, when somebody's passed on, you know, the late, great whoever. Well, that's uh, the late Larry Norman. And, uh, boy, some night on Ask the Pastor, I got to do a show just on Larry Norman. You talk about a flawed individual. Oh, my goodness. And yet some of the stuff he wrote was just amazing. I think that's a pretty good tune, pretty appropriate for what we're yakking about tonight, don't you think? And if you don't, give me a call. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390. Who we got on the line? Who's there? It's Mary from Alexandria. Hi, Mary. What's on your mind tonight, Mary? Okay. When we were little children, our church taught us that we were born with the original sin. So we, we were born with a strike against us. Yeah, well, they got and that right. That's true. That's biblical. It is? We're, yeah, Please explain it, because it well, was well, horrible growing up. Well, we're born in sin, but maybe where your church erred, and where I think a lot of churches erred, is the purpose of Christ dying for our sin is so that we would have, you know, we don't have to live in that sin anymore. We can choose to have him come into our life because he doesn't force himself on anybody. And the whole wonder of the cross is that that sin has been paid for. And you don't have to carry it anymore. Well, they sure didn't tell us that. Well, maybe they should have read the Bible to (laughs) you Well, they didn't say it that way. Yeah, I know. Because, I mean, there's a lot of churches that like to control the populace. You know what I mean? And I've heard, it said that, I've heard it said that rules were invented, and when you start putting rules on people that are not in the Bible, okay, those rules were invented so that your parents could get to bed early at night, you know? So it'd be a less of a hassle running the church, and so that the operation would run smoothly. Well, that's not God's will that the church necessarily runs smoothly. Our, our call, if we're going to be serious followers of Christ, is to be obedient to him. And unfortunately, a lot of the leaders of his church, and remember, it's his church. It's not ours. It's his church. They've royally screwed up. And every time you deviate from Scripture and think that you're smarter than what's in the Bible, or you've got some type of new revelation that disagrees with, it, with what's in the Bible, it always messes everything up. And it happens in Protestant churches. It happens in Catholic churches. It is irrespective of whatever faith you come from. It's part of human nature. But here's the good news. When you realize how screwed up you are, when you realize that you're hopeless outside of Jesus, okay, when you stop pretending that everything's okay and you say, God, we need your help, you want to know something? He comes through. He doesn't have any. Why do you think he said that, you know, uh, 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 they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're going to be filled? The ones who think they're okay, the ones who think, oh, well, we got a good church, we got it together, he's got nothing for them. And those, uh, you know, it should be no surprise that those churches are dead as doornails and they're closing up by the thousands in North America, okay? Because their religion is died. It's become tradition. It's the dead, it's the dead faith of the living instead of the heritage of, you know, uh, the disciples and, uh, uh, you know, the great saints. The heritage, uh, the heritage that we have is the living faith of the dead. And the living faith can't be, you know, it, it doesn't come from tradition. Okay. It comes from, it, it comes from the word of God or it's, it's, uh, it's dead. So you got your sermon for All the right. night, Mary. I have very little Thank tolerance. You. I have very little tolerance for Christian leaders. 
that have done a horrible, horrible job misrepresenting the most fantastic message to ever hit the planet, okay? I mean, this is a message that there are pastors in Red China who haven't seen their families for 15 years. There's hundreds of them in jail right now because of the most incredible message that they'd be willing to lay down their life for. There are people meeting in secret right now in Saudi Arabia that if people find out that they're in a house church and there's only 10 people and they're gathered around a Bible, okay, the leader can face execution and everybody involved in that Bible study is facing imprisonment no matter where, you know, you know what country they're from. And woe to anybody living under an Islamic-led country that if you convert to this incredible message, oh man, you're that's punishable by death, okay? So, I, I mean, if people are willing to risk their lives, if people are willing to risk their lives... For something, I'm telling you right now, that's got to be more than just a belief system and a tradition, and this is the way we've always done it. Something has happened in those people's lives, and I would suggest that the living Christ has come in and transformed their lives and turned them into fearless people that don't even care about death anymore. Well, they're living examples of Acts 1.8 that says, you will receive power, and you will beat my martyrs, my witnesses, okay? And nothing, I mean... Not even death could stop real followers of Christ because spiritually they were already dead. They had died to themselves and they embraced Christ. So, and that's why, and I flog this a lot, okay? And, my, and people in my church know I repeat this one a lot, okay? It is a sin to bore people in church. Matthew eighteen six, Jesus said it would be better to have a millstone, which weighs about 2,000 pounds, tied around your neck and you thrown into the sea than causing one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. Why do 11, 12, and 13, and 14-year-old kids stop going to church if they're raised in the church? The number one reason is they're bored. They're bored! And why do you think in Jesus said... Why do, why, why do you think Jesus said... Why do you think Jesus said, if you welcome one of these little ones, you welcome me? In other words, if it's relevant, and it's exciting, and it's meaningful for a kid then you know what? You probably got the Spirit of Christ there. But if you're just going through some stupid, meaningless rituals that mean nothing to anybody, God left the building long ago. Long ago! You still there? All right. Oh, yeah, well, okay. I'm listening. What was Matthew? Matthew what? Matthew 18.6 is what I quoted to you. In fact, read the whole chapter so you get the get the context there. You'll see it right there. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. It you know what I love about I don't Jesus, Mary? Yeah, but I don't Mary, 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 what the Bible says. Mary, you need to get in a church where they explain it to you, and they don't explain it to you in a way that controls people and puts their spin on it. The first thing you need to do is read it, though. When, Mary, you start reading the Gospels, particularly uh, 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 Matthew six, seven, and eight. Well, the, the entire Gospels. You're going to see a portrayal of Jesus that you never saw in church. Oh, man, you don't mess with Jesus. He did not get crucified for saying nice, politically correct things, okay? He ruffled people's feathers. He claimed to be God. That got him killed. If you claim to be God, you're not just a nice little teacher that's the head of a religion. You're either the real deal or you're stark raven mad, okay? And I really believe he's the real deal. And I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed as somebody who makes their living from following Christ. I'm embarrassed at how 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 watered down and so pathetically boring and lame and weak the message has become in so many of our churches. It's disgusting. Just my feelings, Mary. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for calling in. Okay, good night. Good talking Thanks. to you. There's Marion Alexandria. I am uh, 
25 days from going to visit my son and daughter-in-law in California. Oh, big-time preacher goes to California for his uh, vacation. Well, listen, when you got free accommodation, it's a little easier. And the last two summers, I rode my motorcycle out to California. Four days there, four days back, and, and I have a very fast motorcycle, and it was just it was just wonderful. All was good, but it's expensive. Do you know that it's more expensive to drive a motorcycle out to Los Angeles from Ottawa than it is to fly? Because you got to pay for gas, you got to pay for accommodation, you got to pay for your food, and you know, God forbid, if you have a breakdown like I had in Oklahoma City coming back, you know, it's even more. Okay, so you know, we wanted to save some bucks this year, so we got on the. If you ever do the seat sale game, you know, you keep you go online, and my wife's a genius for this kind of stuff. You know, these deals come up. On flights, and we got some dirt cheap flights out of Ottawa to LA. So I'm 23 days away from uh, uh, going to California, and I'm delighted because uh, not only am I uh, my uh, uh, son and uh, daughter out there, daughter-in-law out there, I've got some old friends. I got some old friends, and I'm not just digressing here. I'm leading up to something, so stay with me here, okay? I got some old friends that live in Orange County, which is down around Anaheim, where Disneyland is and uh, what used to be the Crystal Cathedral. Some of you church people remember uh, Robert Schuller and uh, Angel Stadium, where the uh, um, Los Angeles Angels play now, or California is, whatever they call them now. They keep changing the name. And uh, Karen and Steve, Karen and Steve met in Bible College, okay? Karen, before she met Steve, me and two other buddies, we flew out to California in the summer of 1980, between first and second year Bible college, okay? Because Karen was our buddy, okay? And, and they lived in Modesto. Modesto is, uh, 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 Modesto is uh, about an hour uh, east of San Francisco. It's in, in Northern California. And here I am, like 19, 20 years old, my buddies, the four of us, and we get in this van, and we go up and down the coast of California for two weeks. I mean, when you're 19, 20 years old, it's crazy. It's a lot of fun, okay? And uh, Karen's dad was a pastor, and Karen has a brother, okay? And and Carl, back then, was, you know, about as old, the same age as Karen, and I think he was was going to Santa Cruz Bible College. I remember talking to Carl a lot because... uh, there was a time when, when uh, I was going to go to Santa Cruz Bible College. And Santa Cruz, I mean, if you've ever been there, just just gorgeous. And, and I couldn't afford it. And, and I didn't know what a scholarship was until I was 25 years old. My dad quit school at grade 7, totally self-educated. My mom quit school at grade 9. So academics and college, I, I went further in college than anybody that preceded me in the council family for like eight generations. Okay. Now, my wife and my kids have gone to the nth degree on that. In fact, between the f- the five of them are 11 university degrees, which I don't mind boasting about because I love my family. And uh, so Carl, this buddy of mine, well, he wasn't a buddy of mine. He was he was my, it was uh, uh, Karen's brother, and he was going for them. And he, we, we met him, and he was a good guy. And, and I didn't hear about how, how Carl was doing until we reconnected with uh, uh, Karen and Steve down in Orange County. And I said, how's Carl doing? Oh, he's pastoring a church. Now, where am I going with this? Because this sounds like really boring, and I, I, it's a sin to bore people. I know that. Well, part of my research, and we're talking about what's a church supposed to be. It's kind of a theme tonight. You can you can kind of change direction of the program and call in and talk about whatever you want to talk about, because it is Ask the Pastor. It's still late night council. But one of the themes tonight is, what's a church supposed to look like in the 21st century? Because in, in my opinion, I think the church is doing a really, really bad job. They're not affecting change. Our culture is getting more immoral all the time. People are abandoning the concept of, of, of Jesus Christ being the Son of God. 
And we haven't done a good job of being Christ-like. In fact, I would suggest we've done a lousy job. Most of our biggest churches in North America, they're into they're they're like theaters. They're not even churches anymore. They entertain people. They got big light shows and music, and you know they they put out kind of like a message that's kind of uh, a Christianized, Oprahized version of self help, and you kind of mingle a few scriptures in there, and everybody goes away saying, "Oh, I feel so much better." When you look at the stuff that Jesus talked about and Paul talked about in the epistles in the New Testament, my goodness, it's raw. It's subversive. It, 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 it solicits a response. Okay, back to Carl Vader's. I'm prepping for the show tonight, and lo and behold, I'm on Christianity Today's website, and Carl Vader's has got an article. I haven't seen Carl. In fact, I got a hold of his sister after I read this article. I said, Karen, you got to get me and Carl together here, okay? Because this isn't the first time he's written for Christianity Today, and the guy's good. And, you know, with what we're talking about tonight... Here's the title. I love this. Look at this. Why is it a bad idea to run a church like a business? That's the title of the article. I, I would like to say my old buddy Carl. We were never that close. I mean, much closer to his, you know, to, to his sister. She was a good, and she was like a sister to me. Don't be thinking those things, okay? Karen, wonderful lady, okay? Steve, her husband, is a good friend. And here's Carl out in California. And he's writing about something that I want to talk about tonight. And I'm sure if you're part of the church world, if you've ever been remotely connected to church, you have heard this line before. Well, this is a church. It's not a business. And there's some people that think, well, we got to, you know, there's no way a business would run like this. Well, guess what? The church isn't a business. And I, I'm going to give you a little bit of Carl's article here, okay? And I told you earlier in the program, with me being part of a brand new church startup, where I'm the pastor, and, you know, this church, Christ Church Ottawa, did not exist three months ago. And it is the most exciting work. It is more vibrant with, I think, the real presence of God. It is more exciting than any work I've ever been a part of. So an article like this, you know, when I say, why is it a bad idea to run a church like a business? It caught my attention. And Carl's writing it. And he talks about my business. And he wrote the article because he's a full-time pastor, but he started a business as well. And he noticed the differences between the two. And look at this one he says. My business. I started it. I own it. I run it. And I make all the decisions for it. In these last few years, the differences between running a business and pastoring a church have become very clear to me because I'm doing both on a daily basis. I can now say with certainty that pastoring a church is very different from running a business. I love what he says here. Listen to this. I didn't start the church. I don't own it. I don't run it. And I don't make all the decisions for it. A church doesn't belong to the pastor or the church members or the denominational officials. It belongs to Jesus. Oh, I like that terminology. Do you understand that? Do you get that? I mean, I, I, I always did. I always got that. But, I mean, it's fantastic leading a, a congregation that gets that. I've been trying to explain that concept to people for 35 years. And I think I'm in a congregation now where even the congregation gets that. Okay? I didn't start it. I don't own it. I don't run it. And I don't make all the decisions for it. A church doesn't belong to the pastor. It doesn't belong to the church members either. It doesn't even belong to the denominational officials. It belongs to Jesus. Hey, listen, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know... Uh, if I'm bragging, forgive me. 
when you're leading a church that gets that and understands that, oh my goodness, it's fantastic. It is fantastic. In fact, let me go further. I feel sorry for people who belong to churches. Okay? That have that have North American carnal ideas of what a church is supposed to be. I really feel sorry for them. And I hear I hear the longing of their heart all the time. I hear them longing for reality. They read the Bible and they go, "Wow, like this is amazing." And then they go to their church and it's dead as a doornail. Or it's run like a flipping business. Flipping's okay for me to say. It's like a Christian swear word, you know? Kind of like, you know, if you don't believe in gosh, you're going straight to heck. Okay? I'm going to give you a little more of the article here. Certainly a church has business aspects to it, like paying bills, organizing events, and managing resources well. So does a family. Yet no one thinks we should run our families like businesses. So why do we think it's okay in the church? It's not. For any of you that are churchy type people, and you ever hear, you know, people who are really good business people, and we think, wow, they should be leaders in the church. Just because somebody does a, runs a good business doesn't mean they should be a leader in a church. What did Jesus say about authority? Whoever is the servant of all, that is the greatest among you. Okay? Who's the one that's willing to do the dirtiest jobs the quickest? Usually that's the person that's got more spiritual authority than anybody around there. When we treat the church like a business, this is back to Carl's article here, when we treat the church like a business, we start acting more like business owners and less like stewards. And when we do that, bad things happen. Couldn't agree more. Even, and this one got me, okay, because I would be considered in the church world now a church planter. Even if we're a church planter, we didn't start the church. We merely helped to graft a new branch onto an ancient tree. I love that. I just love that. This is also why, and he's talking here, Carl's talking. I happen to agree with him, but this is also why I have a hard time with our overemphasis on a modeled-after business's idea that a pastor should. Have you ever heard this? If you're a pastor, tell me if you've ever heard this one, because I have. I've heard this most so much I want to puke, Okay. Our overemphasis on a modeled-after business's idea that a pastor, the pastor should cast their vision for a church, and the members should get behind it. You ever heard that terminology? In a business, creating, casting, and holding employees to the owner's vision makes sense. As I run my business, I can do what I want, when I want, according to any ideas I come up with, and there's no one to tell me I can't. That has both good and bad consequences to it. But as the owner, I get to do that and live with the results. Churches don't run that way. At least they shouldn't. It's not up to the pastor to decide what a church should or shouldn't be. Let me read that again. It's not up to the pastor to decide what a church should or shouldn't be. The nature of the church is up to Jesus. Well, how are we going to know what he says and what he wants? Read the Bible for crying out loud. That was my italics added here, okay? Back to the article. Our role is to stay true to his vision and not create our own. Hey, you want a vision of what your church should be? It's as simple as this. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was a stranger. You didn't bring me in. I was in jail. You didn't visit me. Jesus, when did we ever see you like this? When you've done it under the least of these, you've done it to me. There's a vision right there. That's a good one, too. That's not original of John Council. In fact, God help us if anybody, any churches are going with, you know, what comes out of John Council's mouth. Or any other, anybody else. 
Back to Carl's article. Article. Not only do pastors not own the church, we don't even own the pastorate. Instead, we get the honor of wearing the title of pastor for a while, only to hand it off to someone else when our time is over, hopefully better off than when we found it. Good stuff, eh? Back to our, our themed question tonight. Our themed question. Yes, we kind of have a bit of a theme going tonight. What's a, what's a, an authentic, genuine Biblical church supposed to look like in 21st century North America. Let me add another uh, uh, sub-question to it. Is your church run like a business? Oh, but I, I feel sorry for you. I really do. Well, you got to have business practices. Hey, look at You know what? If you're running by biblical practices, the good business practices that are running in the business world, they came originally from biblical morality. If you emphasize biblical practices before so-called business practices, I think you're going to be okay at least by God's standards. Matthew 16, 18, it was Jesus. Jesus said, I am going to build my church. And it's the church that I build, it's going to be so powerful that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Have you watched the news lately? Have you seen what's happening to our culture? I would suggest the gates of hell are kicking the daylights out of the church's butt right now. Because whatever we got in North America, I'm sorry, it doesn't seem like the church of the living God that he describes where hell will tremble whenever the church decides, you know, that they're going to do something. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, in Psalm 127, 1, it's a companion verse. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Labor in vain. In other words, it's vanity. It's an ego trip. And you want to know something? I think a lot of churches are nothing but the pastor's ego trip. It's what the pastor wants. He's casting vision. Got nothing to do with the church of the living God. It's an ego trip. Exactly what Psalm 127.1 said, said it would be. If Christ is not building the church, if Christ is not hotter stuff, and he's not more lifted up than anybody that's doing any of the ministry, okay, then I would suggest it's not his church. It's the pastor's ego trip. It's exactly what it says in Psalm 127.1. If he doesn't build it, the builders labor in vain. Vain, ego, pride. Here's another question. Hey, let's get into it tonight. Come on, I've only got like, like 40, 40 minutes left. I'd love to yak about this. Let's get into the nitty-gritty of it. How do you know if your pastor's legit and not on some type of religious ego trip? Maybe he's just real good at hiding his massive ego, and he knows how to speak all those and say all those nice Christianese churchified things. Let me let you, give you some inside scoop on pastors and pastoring, Okay. Pa- uh, the the role of a pastor, the the, the occupation of a ch- it attracts narcissists like crazy. Oh, I'm telling you, listen, I've spoken in front of like crowds of a thousand. It's an ego trip, boy. Woohoo! When you got that many people listening to you, and I look at, I know how to manipulate a crowd. I do. I can get a crowd going. I can quiet them down. I can do whatever I ever I want with them. Do I do that? No, because I have too much respect for the Bible and for the Word of God. I would never go down that road. If anything, I'd do the opposite. Because I don't want any of that soiled, corrupt flesh coming into what is described as Christ's bride. 
That's what the church is. It's called the bride of Christ. You don't mess with a guy's bride, man. Don't mess with a guy's bride. In fact, a very docile husband who's always easy to get along with, you start messing with his bride, you're going to see a different side of him really quick. You start messing with a guy's bride, that guy will do things that he's never done in his life. So think about that when you talk about the bride of Christ, Jesus' bride, the church. And I, I've, I've seen all kinds of pastors that were just hopeless narcissists. They always fall. They always burn out. They disappear. It's sad. It really is. Because some of them are really, really gifted. And pastoring, and I, I don't think I've ever talked about like this on any Ask the Pastor show. So it's kind of a unique show tonight. But if anything I've learned with starting a new church, man, counsel, don't go with what you think is going to work. You do what God tells you to do. And you know what? Sometimes I might get the message wrong. Sometimes, you know, God said something and I didn't get it right. But every once in a while, I think, you know, he nails it. Pastoring attracts narcissists like crazy. They got all kinds of giftings, all kinds of ability. But if, you, if you're really doing the work of God, you're going to get your heart broken. You can't, you can't lead like Christ leads without getting your heart broken. Even Jesus said, you know, uh, 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 the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hireling, when there's trouble, the hireling just kind of takes off, you know. But uh, but the, the the real shepherd, oh man, he'll endure all kinds of pain. There's all sorts of scriptures about it too in Zechariah thirteen seven and Mark fourteen twenty seven. I'm giving you actual references, so you know I'm not just you know generalizing here. Both those uh, uh, scripture references. Jesus repeats Zechariah 13, said when he said, you strike the shepherd, the sheep are going to scatter. If you want to destroy a flock, go after the pastor. Now, it doesn't sound like I'm saying very flattering things about pastors or churches, does it? You know? So I, if I'm going to end this conversation, I, I would end it with, listen, get into a church. If you're not part of a church, you need to be part of a church. None of them are perfect. But you want to know something? If you've really got Christ in your life, you can make your church better. You can. And you can tell somebody's a real powerful follower of Christ, that they're in it for the right reasons. When they start showing up on church on Sunday and their attitude is, well, I hope the pastor preaches a good sermon. I, they're, they're, I hope the music is good. I hope so-and-so is there and so-and-so isn't there. When your attitude changes from all that to, who can I bless today? Who needs a hug? Who needs a word of encouragement? How can I brighten up somebody's day? When you start thinking about that, you know, when, when you're headed to church on a Sunday morning, you're probably doing pretty good. You're probably no longer just a cultural Christian. You're probably the real deal. Dear God, we need more of the real deals. Are you ready for another cool tune? I, I mentioned Larry Norman. Oh, yeah, I should get up phone number. 343-700-4390 if you want to uh, join this here. And you're in the capital region. 343-700-4390. Okay. If you're listening from all over North America, okay, and uh, we have actually got, I want you to know, uh, since I started uh, our home studio now, since we've been doing it in the home studio, we get the largest listening audience tonight, the second largest listening audience we've had since we started on Sunday nights. So there's a ton of you out there, but I, you're listening, you're not calling in, so I don't know, I, I, please, I, I always, I'm always scared when I say that, because it sounds like I'm pleading for calls. I am not pleading for calls. Do not call in just for the sake of calling in. I want you, only want you calling in if you've got something you know, worthy to say, you know? There's something that you're really serious about. So if you're uh, listening from Snowball, Ontario, if you're listening from uh, Gumbo, Missouri, California, Pennsylvania, 
or Poland, Idaho, Ohio, Idaho, 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 Idaho and Iowa. That's kind of good. Ohio and Iowa combined. Poland, Ohio, one eight four four five six two four seven six six is the long distance line. That's one eight four four five six two. Four seven six six. Now, but we've already heard from Larry Norman tonight, which I described as the late and flawed and really messed up, but you know, God used him anyway. Artist. Now I'm going to uh, um, play a tune by uh, one of my heroes. Some people refer to him as the Christian Buddy Holly, because him and his two kids were killed in a plane crash in 1982. And uh, Keith Green was far more than just a, a gospel artist or a Christian musician. This I believe the guy was a prophet. I believe God was speaking to him, you know, speaking through him. You know why? Because there were a lot of people were ticked off at him, really angry at him. And in my opinion, the people that were angry at him are the people that I don't mind getting angry either. The hypocrites, people that, you know, were into the Christian enterprise business for to make a buck. The record companies that couldn't stand him because he was giving away his albums for free. Can you imagine? <laughs> Where would he get a thought like that? <laughs> I mean, I, you got to love a guy, and this guy could play the piano as good as Billy Joel, okay? An incredible songwriter, okay? This guy, he, he'd do these concerts, you know, these Christian festivals. You know, Anyway, they didn't announce him. Keith Green, you know? Everybody would freak out, people clapping, you know, 10,000 people there, and he'd rebuke the audiences. He'd rebuke them. He'd say, shut up, stop clapping. The only person that deserves applause is Jesus Christ. And if you give applause to anybody else other than Christ, it's idolatry. Pretty good, huh? That takes, as you know, as, as we say in, in, in uh, uh, um, locker room uh, slang, that takes cojones. That really does. So this whole topic of what, you know, what a real church is supposed to look like, what a biblical, authentic church of the 21st century, um, you know, is supposed to look like, I think this tune is just perfect for it, okay? And... Not only is a great musician, oh man, his 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 songs are like sermons, okay? Well, here's an example.
That is a guy that's worth looking up on YouTube. Yeah. Got killed in a plane crash about 35 years ago. But there is footage on YouTube of, of him doing concerts in the late 70s and, and early 80s and uh, being interviewed. In fact, there's a one of him before he came to Christ. He was a teen pop idol and he was on What's My Line, the game show. And he was the youngest person ever to sign a record contract in the 60s, a $100,000 record uh, contract. He was on the cover of Tiger Beat magazine, and he was only like 13 or 12 back then. And uh, But he, uh, uh, you know, typically of an entertainer when he was in his early teens, you know, dabbled in booze and drugs and sex and everything. And, and uh, miraculously, in his late teens, he came to Jesus Christ. And he, uh, I think he died at the age of 27. Beautiful wife, three, four, I think four kids. No, one of his children, he had four kids. His last child was born after he was, uh, after he died. And two of his children, his two oldest children died in the plane crash with him. They had a, 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 a ministry compound down in Lindale, Texas, where they would have a, the last days ministries was the name of the uh, ministries organization that he founded with his wife, Melody. And they put out some incredible like uh, literature. And I've got tons of it in my library. Just a real decent wonderful sincere guy and uh boy did we lose one when we lost keith green but his music lives on alive and well as you got an example of it got an email from kathy jc at late night if you want to send an email hi john what are your thoughts on performing funerals for someone who has chosen assisted death what a great question kathy that is an excellent question what about performing a funeral for someone who's chosen assisted death? Well, I've done suicide funerals. They're not fun. And and I'll take any funeral that anybody wants me to do because it's always an opportunity to to share God's love and to um you see no matter what somebody has done with their life that doesn't change the fact that God loves us. And God wants what's best for us. And sometimes that hurts, you know? And uh, but it's it, it's short-term pain for not long-term gain, eternal gain, eternal gain. And uh, I would do a funeral. I would not look forward to it. I would be praying a lot. I would be asking God to help me. 
because I can't make a judgment call. You know, because I've known of many, many cases where there's evidence where somebody has committed suicide and they've realized what they've done and they've actually had time to repent. Suicide's murder. You're taking a life. And I know there's mental illness and I know there's all sorts of factors involved. That's why I can't just blanketly say that all, anybody who commits suicide goes to hell. I don't believe that. I think it's very grim. And, and uh, when you start talking about hell, everybody gets nervous because everybody believes in heaven, but nobody believes, about, believes, in, believes in hell. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the most loving person who ever walked the face of the earth, he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Why? Because I think he talked about it because it's real. And somebody who makes the claims that Jesus made would not be deceptive, would not be exaggerating or using hyperbole. I think it's a real place. And I think that, you know, to avoid it at all costs, I think that's very, very wise. And to make suicide acceptable, where culturally, you know, like, well, who are you to decide? I'm nobody. Who are you to decide? I thought that was God's department, because when you are choosing assisted death, you are deciding. So when somebody accuses me of being, you know, too narrow-minded or judgmental by saying, who are you to decide when somebody should die? That's exactly what they're doing if they're choosing to die. It's amazing how, you know, when you're you're upset at somebody else, you're blind to your own faults. Jesus said it better than me, you know. When are you worrying about a a speck in somebody's eye when you got a log in your own? I would definitely do the funeral, you know. And I I mean... (sighs) Hey, I wish all I wish all my funerals that I went to or, or I had to perform were like my godmother's funeral in Wallaceburg, Ontario, ten days ago. Okay, drove down to Wallaceburg, Ontario. It's just outside of Sarnia. She was my godmother. Mark Hazard and Russ Hazard, my godparents. Now, in the Pentecostal faith, you know we don't have legal godparents, but for all intents and purposes, and according to insurance, they were my godparents. If anything ever happened to uh, uh, my parents, both of them, they made a vow and and made it public, and it was on insurance that they were supposed to raise us kids. So I grew up with their family as as like they're closer to me than cousins. They have twelve kids. Over half of them are in full full time paid ministry positions, where they're pastors and missionaries and and Christian workers. And the other six, every one of them is, is a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. The most incredible family I've ever known, okay? And uh, uh, Russ Hazard, and I even wrote an article as a tribute to him for a national publication. This guy's the most Christ-like person I think I've ever known in my life. I, you know, I, I just, I, I almost get teary-eyed talking about them because I just, just adore that family. They're, they're so, the presence of Jesus is so powerful in that family. And I went to Russ's funeral about three years ago, and Marg died, two, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, just under a month ago. There was no way I was going to miss her funeral because I just want to be around those people. And uh, I wish all the funerals were like that. I mean, if you go to a funeral where you know somebody's had a good relationship with the Lord and they haven't been a cultural Christian, they just, you know, they really have Christ alive in their lives. Oh, man, those funerals are a blast. They are a blast. Some of the most happy, exciting times I've ever been to has been a funeral where you know somebody's lived a good life and they've gone on to, as the Bible says, to their reward. 
I wish all my funerals were like that, but they're not. You don't get to choose, okay? People die under all circum- different circumstances. And I've had to, man, how do you like this? I remember uh, having to do a funeral for a guy who was a convicted child molester, okay? Molested his own kids. And unless there was a miracle, and, you know, you trust God and believe for a miracle, there, it, it, I hope the guy made it, but from everything that I've seen and I heard, it didn't look like it at all. And because a lot of people knew he was a convicted child molester, there's about eight, nine people at his funeral. And I got to do the funeral. How do you pull off a stunt like that? You know? Well, that's why I pray. No matter how horrible the person was or how unfortunate their situation is, it doesn't change the fact that God is love and God transforms people's lives. And, 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 you know, if you're sincere and opening your heart up to him, you search long enough to him. He says, you know, seek me and you'll find me. People give up too easy. You know, there is a real God. Jesus died. Okay. And he rose from the dead and then he never died again. He's the only guy in history that's ever been able to pull that off. And I would suggest that anybody that could pull off that stunt, die, rise from the dead, and that not die again, I would suggest you've got to take his words pretty seriously. And that's what the essence of the Christian faith is. We take his words seriously. And that's why in the Bible it says if you try to take away from his words, from the word of God, or add to it, you're cursed. You'll be damned. And I would put extra biblical traditions into that category. In fact, I'm going to push the envelope a little bit. I think there's a special place in hell for people who add to the Bible rules and regulations that are not in there. Or they twist and and misrepresent it improperly. And they call their belief system some type of Christian faith. I jump at the opportunity to do funerals, Kathy. I do. Because no matter where people are at or where they're hurting, and and I've got to do three weddings in the next... uh, I got three weddings booked coming up in the next couple months. And, I, you know, the couples that are getting married, I know all the couples. They're wonderful people. I love them. But when it comes right down to it, I'd rather do a funeral than a, than a wedding. I would. Because at a wedding, everybody's at their best. Everybody wants to look good. You know, it's the bride's day, and everybody's happy to rejoice. That's good. You know, that's a good place. And I don't, I don't despise weddings. I don't mind weddings, okay? But if I have a chance to lead, I would rather choose a funeral. I'll tell you why. Because at funerals, people are usually so busted up, so grieving, that they, they don't have the spiritual or emotional energy to put on a face. You see them the way they really are. And you have an opportunity as a pastor, I have an opportunity to, to minister to the real people instead of, you know, just the, the face they're putting on. And I find that people are much more open to how much God loves them. I find that people are much more open to the reality of what eternity is all about at a funeral than at any other time. In fact, that may be the only time they're seriously thinking about eternity. That's sad. I mean, you know, this wonderful relationship we can have, you know, with Christ. I mean, Jesus is the one who said, look, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Okay, I got another break to give, to do here. Okay, and I'm going to play a tune for you. And when I come back, barring a phone call or a riveting, really good email like yours was, Kathy, I really appreciate that question. That's a great question. Barring a phone call or a tweet or an email, uh, I want to give the last segment to some really serious stuff, some really bad stuff. In fact, I'm going to play a tune, and and uh, 
the message of the tune is uh, 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 pretty sobering as well. But you'll know why I chose the tune when we come back with, and do our last segment. Okay, so you just hang in there. And this is this is Andre Crouch and the Disciples. Thank you. 
You ever heard that tune before? We need to hear from you. Here's why. And I tweeted this article out. If you want the whole article, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Although maybe I should. Um, you can get a copy of this. I tweeted this out about three hours ago. And I said, I will soon be arrested for retweeting an article like this. This is why we need to hear from God. This is why we need God to do something in Canada. Top pediatrician says pushing transgender ideology on kids is child abuse. A top American pediatrician says transgender ideology has infiltrated her field and is responsible for large-scale child abuse for what is teaching children and parents, for what it's teaching children and parents. Just a few short years ago, not many could have imagined a high-profile showdown over transgender men and women, women's access to single-sex bathrooms in North Carolina. Michelle Cretella, Dr. Michelle Cretella, president of the American College of Pediatricians, wrote in a commentary for the Daily Signal last Monday. But transgender ideology is not just infecting our laws, it is intruding into the lives of the most innocent among us, children. And with the apparent growing support of the professional medical community, she added. Cortella referred to her 2016 peer-reviewed article, Gender Dysphoria in Children and Suppression of Debate, which warned that potentials who speak out, professionals who speak out against gender transition therapy for children find themselves maligned out of a job. The American College of Pediatricians president said that doctors once treated gender identity issues as a mental illness, but now many in the medical community promote transgenderism as normal. She criticized the transition-affirming view that holds children who consistently and persistently insist that they are not the gender they were born with are innately transgender. Cortella said that such a view leads parents to put their children on puberty blockers to give them cross-sex hormones, eventually leading to genital reassignment surgeries. The pediatrician warned that despite the acceptance of this movement in the media, plenty of institutions and professionals in the field disagree with what she described as a deeply flawed narrative. Cortella then listed what she said were eight different factual statements that counter the transition-affirming view, which can be read in full in the Daily Signal article. Among them, she notes, studies that prove that no one is born trapped in the body of the wrong sex, and that puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones carry dangerous health risks. The crux of the matter is that while the transition-affirming movement purports to help children, it is inflicting a grave injustice on them and their non-dysphoric peers, Cortella stressed. Today's institutions that promote transition affirmation are pushing children to impersonate the opposite sex, sending many of them down a path of puberty blockers, sterilization, the removal of healthy body parts, and untold psychological damage, she added, insisting that all this creates institutionalized child abuse. This is the director of the American Society of uh, uh, Pediatricians saying that what we're doing to our kids is institutionalized child abuse. Earlier in June, a separate report written by three well-respected medical experts and scholars also questioned decisions that place children under radical and experimental puberty-blocking hormone therapy. Psychologists do not understand what causes gender dysphoria in children and adolescents or how to distinguish reliably between children who will only temporarily express feelings of being the opposite sex from children whose gender dysphoria will be more persistent, states the report. 
entitled Growing Pains, Problems with Puberty Suppression in Treating Gender Dysphoria, published by the quarterly journal The New Atlantis. Until much more is known about gender dysphoria and until controlled clinical trials of puberty suppression are carried out, this intervention should be considered experimental, it adds. The experts further warned that regardless of good intentions by physicians and parents to expose young people to such treatments is to endanger them. We need to hear from God. And yet in Canada, we have allowed these people to take over our school system. We have allowed them to take over our school system. I quote Michael Brown all the time, and I've, I've actually, him and I have been corresponding back and forth a little bit. I might even be able to say that he's become a colleague of mine, Dr. Michael Brown. And he has just written an article on this that's available at Christian Post. You know what the title of his article is? Gay activists really are after your children. It is true that some gay adults actively seduced under underage children using school-based gay-straight alliance clubs and other means to lure them in. He says some. And as groups like Mass Resistance have clearly documented, if you don't believe me, click on this link. And there's a link of the thing I'm reading here which documents the accusation. But most of the important work is done by indoctrination. It is planned, it is systemic, and it is effective. At a 2015 teachers' conference in Canada, lesbian kindergarten teacher Pam Strong explained how she uses her classroom to convince children as young as four to accept homosexual relationships. She said, with the principal's encouragement, we decided that I would go from class to class and talk about what gay means. What does LGBTQ mean? What do I mean? She also read the gay book, King and King, to the little ones. And when she got to the part about the two princes being married, one of the little boys suddenly shouted out, they can't do that, they can't get married, they're two boys. She explained to him, yes, they did do it, right there on page 12, to which the boy protested that it was just a story, not real life. Strong replied, this is a teacher here, it happens in real life too, I'm a married woman, and I'm gay, and I'm in love with my wife. And with that, the, kid was, the kids were silenced. I guess being gay is okay after all. In England, an Orthodox an Orthodox Jewish school, this is not even a, like a public school. In England, an Orthodox Jewish school for girls, ages three to eight, fell afoul of the government because it failed to educate the children about being transgender or lesbian. But why should it? For heaven's sake, this is a school of Orthodox Jewish girls. There's nothing sacred anymore. As reported on a Christian website two weeks ago, Vishnitz School in North London first came under scrutiny with an unannounced emergency inspection in February 2016 after safeguarding concerns were raised. The school's categorization fell from good to standards not met. What was the reason for the unannounced emergency inspection? What standards has the school not met? The report overall is very positive, pointing to the school's many excellent qualities and the fine results it is getting. But then what was the problem? The problem was that they didn't teach three-year-old girls that perhaps they'll be attracted to other girls when they grow up, which, of course, is fine and good. They didn't teach five-year-old girls that perhaps they're really boys trapped in girls' bodies, and when they get older, they can become boys. Yes, it doesn't matter how good your school is in all other aspects. Simply refusing to teach very young children about gender reassignment will lead to your closure. 
That is the possible outcome for not only this school, but other Jewish schools which refuse, as a matter of faith, to teach LGBT issues. For those who are still living in denial, please do face the facts. For years now, LGBT activists have been coming after your children, and their strategy has been immensely successful so far. It's up to us as parents and educators and pastors and leaders and young people and old people to fight fire with fire to get more involved in our schools, to get our message out, and to indoctrinate kids with the truth. We could teach them to be loving and kind to everyone, especially those who seem different, without teaching them to affirm that which is contrary to God's design and plan. And whatever we do, we best do it on our knees, crying out for divine intervention. Without that, this ship has long since sailed. I can guarantee you that Dr. Michael Brown is very, very aware of the Andre Crouch classic that you just heard, we need to hear from you. And the language for the people that are coming after your kids and wanting to indoctrinate them into their ways, the language they're using for people who disagree with them is getting more violent all the time. I think we're probably a year or two away before uh, state-approved, uh, non-state-approved Bibles are not allowed in schools and they're not allowed to be quoted anywhere. The only Bibles that will be uh, available to the public and recognized will be ones that have been heavily censored. I think within a year or three, within a year or three years, it will be illegal in Canada to call homosexuality a sin. And anybody who does that, even if they're preaching from a Bible is going to get arrested. And I think the church is going underground in Canada. I think it is. Do you see any pushback? Justin Trudeau is more popular than ever. Hey, who knows? Maybe this decision with Omar Khadr to give him $10.5 maybe this is the beginning of a pushback. Maybe, this is, maybe there's a cultural shift happening in Canada. I don't personally don't see it. I hope I'm not being negative because I, I believe when I when I pray and I believe for a spiritual revolution and revival, I pray for the real deal. Because the problem with most evangelical Christians, their concept of revival is, you know, having a real exciting church service where everybody goes, you know, hype goes home hyped up. That historically that's not what a, a real sociologically impacting revival is. The revival that happened under John and Charles Wesley in England in the in the seventeen hundreds, that was the real deal. When France was embracing atheism, and there were thousands that were guillotined, enemies of the state, when they were overthrowing a corrupt church, at the same time across the channel, England was embracing the Bible that the Wesleys were preaching. The trade union movement was birthed out of the Wesleyan revival. The Protestant, it's, it's cynically sometimes referred to as the Protestant work ethic, where you know you devote yourself to hard work and you believe that work is a gift from God. And John Wesley wrote, you know, Christians should work as hard as they can so they can make as much as money as they can so they can give it all away. And the goodwill, the goodwill that, that, that was that multiplied under the Wesleys in that really sociological revival, the turning back to God in the middle to late 1700s, a lot of honest historians attribute that whole spirit of, of, of birthing the British Empire, which became the most powerful empire in the world. 
Now, it certainly wasn't a godly empire. I mean, they, they were the guys that exploited the slave trade, and people got filthy, stinky rich. But at the same time, the message of Jesus Christ was spread throughout the world on a per capita basis like never other time in history. And I think unless we have that type of spiritual revolution in Canada, we're looking at some pretty dark times. I'm only 57 years old. At the rate this is going, I expect to do jail time. I do. Simply for adhering to a faith that I won't compromise. Hey, I'm in good company. The person I follow, the person I laid, I'd lay down my life for, he got executed. And he even said of his followers, all men are going to hate me, hate you because of me. So I got right from the horse's mouth, no disrespect of what a real follower of Christ is, as opposed to these, you know, millionaire preachers that are preaching a, a what, do I, what do I call it, a soulless, gutless gospel, void of any, you know, real passion. Thanks for tuning in. I'm out of time. Kind of a different program tonight, eh? You know? I don't mind. You don't want same old, same old. My goodness, I wouldn't tune into same old, same old. I hope your church isn't same old, same old. Hey, if you're in the Ottawa region, hey, even if you're not in the Ottawa region, the glories of the internet, check out ChristChurchOttawa.com. I got sermons on there. ChristChurchOttawa.com and this show is available for uh, podcast as well. We'll be live next week again, 9 o'clock. Have a good week. Good night.